Hello, I'm Dave Watts, and this is the Redundancy Podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to share the challenges of finding and keeping a job as an older worker. My guest in this podcast is Leah Lambert from Melbourne in Australia, and we're going to talk about preparing for and being interviewed using a competency-based or behavioural approach framework. Leah is a career and interview coach and founder of Melbourne-based coaching business Relaunch Me. She's also the host of the Relaunch Your Career podcast, where she interviews successful career changers in the hope that their stories will inspire others to find more meaningful work. Leah is a seasoned career changer herself, starting her career as a chartered accountant within the taxation department of a big four firm, before transitioning over the next decade through accounting and finance recruitment, in-house legal recruitment and project management, before an extended career break to raise her children. In 2014, Leah set up Relaunch Me to help others relaunch their careers and find work that's aligned to their personality, interests and values. Leah and the Relaunch Me team now work with job seekers, career changers and individuals who've been made redundant to help them secure fulfilling work. Leah also uses her extensive recruitment background to teach others to think like a recruiter, in particular coaching individuals to succeed at behavioural interviews. Leah, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Now, we know there are a number of different types of interview techniques, but a common one is the behavioural or competency-based type. What is a behavioural interview and how would you recognise them? Very good question, Dave. A behavioural interview is usually an interview that involves a range of different types of interview questions. So that may include what I call general questions, but also what we call behavioural questions. So the the thing with behavioural questions is the idea behind behavioural questions is that they are linked to the key competencies that are required to do the job. And often they are the what we call the soft skills, which is I don't really like to use the word soft skills or the core skills is another word for those. And they're often the skills that sit around our technical skills. So typical core skills would be skills like communication, leadership, teamwork, relationship building, skills like this. So the idea behind the behavioural interview question is that they will ask you for a specific example of when you have used that particular skill or competency in the past as a way of, I guess, getting evidence-based responses. And the idea behind this is that by providing evidence, it reassures the panel that you are able to use that competency in the role and would use the competency perhaps in the same way that they would to solve some sort of problem. So the question about why are they used is to tease out your specific examples of what have you done and why have you done it and what was the outcome, presumably? That's correct. So in the past, an interview panel may have asked a question like, what would you do if you had a conflict with a colleague? So in the past, these questions were perhaps more sort of hypothetical, where now the idea of the behavioural question is instead they would turn that around and ask, tell us about a time when you had to resolve a conflict with a colleague and how did you do it? Which organisation is more likely to use this technique then? 
So I would say that these types of interviews have been used, they've been around for a long time. So when I started my career as a graduate, oh gosh, this is going to show my age, in about 1996 I was interviewing and the the questions that I was asked as a graduate were behavioural interview questions. So they have been used by large corporates government departments, universities, local government for a long, long time, but they are definitely becoming more widespread and they will always be asked in government interviews, corporate interviews, but these days if there's any sort of HR involvement, usually there would be some sort of behavioural interview even for a fairly small organisation. And are you likely to come across this technique in video interviews which are becoming more common Definitely. So video interviews, they may not ask as many behavioural questions as they would in a face-to-face interview, but there's definitely behavioural questions being asked. And even in the automated video interviews, for instance, someone going through a very large recruitment process in terms of high volume, the first step might actually be pre-recorded questions and often those are even behavioural questions. And that can be really difficult because often there's a time limit. So I had a very senior candidate interview recently for quite a senior role but they were pre-recorded questions and it was a two-minute time limit. And so it's very difficult to deliver a behavioural question in two minutes. I would normally sort of suggest aim for around three minutes or a little bit longer. So if you have a pre-recorded interview, it's really helpful if you know whether it's going to be timed. And how can you prepare for this sort of technique? And what does good preparation look like? So the first thing to understand when preparing to answer these types of questions is that there is a recommended structure that's fairly universal, and that's called the STAR method. So the STAR method provides you with a structure for your response and STAR stands for S is, uh, the acronym is S is for situation, T is for task, A is for actions and R is for your result. So the first thing to understand is how to use that method correctly to make sure that you're putting the right weight in the right places. So the STAR method is the first thing you need to practice and for many people it feels quite strange using it for a little bit of you know until they get used to it because it's something that they've never had to do before so the star method's important the second thing is to you really can't wing these interviews so in the in the good old days if you had the gift of the gab and you're an extrovert you could probably just rock up and hope for the best these days these types of interviews it's very difficult to do well unless you actually go into that interview with prepared examples that you've practiced over and over again uh, so that as soon as you hear the question you can reel off your star example so I think that would be the second thing is really good preparation it can be quite off-putting as well because there's often a panel of interviewers and they're taking notes at the same time so you're giving your answer because I've been on both sides of these interviews you're giving your answer and you're taking notes and you're thinking what are they writing what what I just said there I don't like that. It looks suspicious. Or they're not writing. That's even worse. Well, exactly. I was just going to say, I usually say to my clients, if they're writing, that's a good thing. If they're not writing, then you're not giving them the right types of responses or perhaps there's not enough depth in your answers. What's a good answer sound like? You said typically two or three minutes to answer and using the STAR technique, but a good answer, 
what should somebody be aiming for? So the first thing is to understand what that competency is. So if you are preparing an example for teamwork or collaboration, the first thing is it's almost reverse engineering it and thinking, well, what does a good team team player or a good collaborator, what are the typical behaviours that they would demonstrate? So the types of behaviours that a good team player would demonstrate, they would share information with their team, they would ensure good communication with their team, they would give people good feedback, they would perhaps delegate work based on strengths within the team. So it's almost thinking about, well, what are the the behaviours that are the ones that they would want to hear and then having examples where you have performed those types of behaviours in your actions. So a good example would provide some context around the situation and task. You don't really get marked for that part of the question, for your that part of the response. So that's really just providing some context where you were when the situation occurred, what actually happened and what you had to do to deal with it. So that's the first part. Obviously, the the more meaty part to your response would be the actions. And that's talking through the process that you went through to deal with the situation and the behaviours that you demonstrated. And then finishing off with the result, which is what is the evidence that what you did in the actions was successful? So were you able to get the team working better together? Were you able to improve morale within the team? So those would be sort of typical, I guess, results that you might talk about if it's a teamwork example. And you can get clues from the application form in the first place because, of course, that's usually they ask, can you give us examples or give us evidence of how you meet these competencies in the first place? So that's exactly right. If you do have to respond to key selection criteria, that's a pretty good indicator that those will be the types of questions that you will be asked in the interview. If it's a position where there isn't the opportunity to address key selection criteria, then you would refer to the key competencies within the position description. And those usually give you a pretty good idea of the competencies that are important for that role and therefore what star examples you would need to prepare. And what are the common mistakes that candidates will make in competency-based or behavioural interviews? Yes, that's a really good question. So I would say the first thing is not providing enough depth to the answer. And by that I mean perhaps spending way too long describing the situation and then skipping over the actions to the result. So they really miss out on the main part of what the panel want to hear and that's how you actually did it. So I think that would be the number one mistake. Often when I work with clients to coach them, they've often been unsuccessful in a number of interviews and very often the feedback they receive is there wasn't enough depth to your answers. And so usually that means that there wasn't, they didn't talk about the actions and there wasn't enough information in the actions. So that would be the first thing, Dave. The second thing I would say is not using strong action words. So in the actions, you want to use strong I statements. I identified, I developed, I discussed with my team, I proposed a recommendation. Often people, and I don't know, maybe this is an Australian thing, but often people revert to we. 
we discussed, we organised. And so the panel has no idea who is actually driving this situation and who is actually making the decisions. So that's something when people practice, it's important that whoever they're practicing with will pick them up and make sure that they're using I statements and not we statements. In Australia, we have this the tall poppy syndrome, which is very much about people not taking credit and everyone needing to be the same. And so I do find that pretty much everyone I coach here will say we instead of I, even people who work for themselves say we. <laughs> so that would, they would be the main things and obviously not preparing well. People who don't really think about the competencies required for the job, don't really prepare any examples and just expect that they can turn up and, and wing it on the day. And do you have any overarching advice for any older worker going to an interview for the first time in a long time? Yes, so I would say the first thing is they really do need to do some research on behavioural interviewing and using the STAR method. So that would be the number one thing. The second thing is they need to do that sort of real self-assessment piece and get really clear on their brand and how they want to sell themselves. And by that I mean really understand their values, understand their strengths and what they can bring to that organisation, understand what they actually want out of that role and, and perhaps what the problems that the organisation might be facing and how they can potentially help. So I think it's really important that they go in with a clear message about what they can offer and how they can help that organisation solve some of their problems. And I've also noticed on your website you've got a long list of useful behavioural type questions that you might be asked. Yes, I have. I've got a, it's a free download, 100 behavioural questions that you need to know. <laughs> and look, that, that is a lot of questions to prepare for. But I, I always do say to people, over-prepare rather than under-prepare. And it's just getting used to the fact that they can ask you a question about teamwork in about 20, 30 different ways. So the question may not even include the word teamwork. They might say collaboration or they might say some other word about working across teams. So it's useful to practice listening to questions and thinking about, well, what is the actual competency that they're testing in that question so that you don't get tripped up on the, in, on the day of the interview? I can think of one extreme example from about three years ago when I was interviewing potential police recruits. And the question was, can you tell me why you want to become a police officer? The answer we got from one candidate was, because my dad was one. We were hoping for answers around supporting the community, protecting people from harm, looking after vulnerable members of society, that sort of thing. And no matter how we tried, we couldn't get any more depth to the answer than, well, my dad was one. Far end of the spectrum example, I realise, but your point is very well made. Yes, and I, there will be times that they will ask you difficult questions to see how you cope under stress. I've had a client who was asked a question such as, who is your favourite Disney princess and why? So such a ridiculous question, but it was just to see how they reacted when they're put under pressure and haven't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's a new one for me. 
That's really helpful. Thank you so much. What's next for you and how can you be contacted? Well, Dave, as it is probably overseas, we're still in a little bit of limbo here in Melbourne, in Australia, and we're still really working from home. So my plan is really just to continue coaching via Zoom, which is quite nice, I must say, in the middle of winter. I can I can do my coaching in my unboots. <laughs> And my dog is certainly happy that I'm around a little bit more often. If people do want to find me, they can look up my website. It is relaunchme.com.au. And as you mentioned earlier, I have my own podcast where I interview people who have made a career change and talk to people about different career areas. And that's the Relaunch Your Career podcast. They're very good. I've listened to a few. I'll put the link on my website and a link to your own Relaunch Me website as well. There are some really wonderful stories on there and hopefully there'll be more to come, Dave. I hope so. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me, Dave, and all the best to you for the rest of the year. Thank you. I've gone to Leah's website and taken just a few of the competency-based example questions from the ones she lists. Describe a time when you were required to communicate a difficult or unpleasant idea to your boss. Describe a time when you've had to use your conflict resolution skills in the workplace. Describe a time when you contributed in a positive way to improving the workplace culture. Describe an unpopular decision you made and what the result was. Would you be able to answer those questions in three minutes if they were the key competencies of the role you were being interviewed for? As you might imagine, the potential police officer I mentioned failed his interview because he hadn't understood the prime role of an officer. If you manage to get through to the interview, that's an error that you can avoid. And my favourite Disney princess is, well, maybe for another podcast. Thank you for listening the whole way through. If you like the podcast, why not click on the subscribe button? I'll be back in a few weeks and my contact details follow next. You can make contact with me via my website, theredundancypodcast.com, which has a synopsis of this and all the podcast's main points, by emailing me at theredundancypodcast at gmail.com or via Twitter with the hashtag at redundancypcast.com.